It's Christmas time here at Link Church and we are so excited to celebrate this season with you. I want to invite you to join us for one of our online broadcast services, either Christmas Eve the 24th of December at 5.30pm or Christmas Day 10.30am the 25th of December. Alternatively, subscribe to your preferred platform and you'll be notified the moment one of these services go live. Enjoy today's service. As we cook up a series called Breaking the Silence, uh, Romans 10, 17 says it like this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When it says hearing by the Word of God, that word for word or the translation of that word word is to break the silence. And so the idea of this series is that faith comes by hearing and hearing when the silence is broken from God. So, so the idea of the series is that Christmas breaks the silence. I don't know if you know this, but there were 400 years of silence, we would say, between the last writings of the Old Testament and the first of the New, about 400 years. And obviously, we know that that silence was broken with the story of Jesus, which is the story of Christmas. And so really, this is just a series looking at how that silence set us up for the greatest story ever told, which is that of Jesus. And we believe that faith comes when we hear that story, and faith is God's Delivery system. A uh, little story to set up today before we get going. I don't know if you know parents, but sometimes shopping with children is a challenge. And, uh, and so what we sometimes do is when we go shopping, grocery shopping, we decide, well, why don't we stop off at like a toy store on the way and just take the edge off, you know? Like we're not going to buy them anything. We're just going to let them like look around and like, you know, get, get some inspiration like what we would do, window shopping, all right? And so anyway, we, we go window shopping at the toy store, and um, it's not even like three minutes, and there's a fight. And, and, and you know, I'm not in the fight. I'm watching it unfold. And so I'm watching my older two girls go at each other. I want to get this. No, I'm going to get, you can't afford that. And then she says, well, you don't deserve this. You know, and then, you know, any parents just uh, appreciate shopping. And just another day out is parenting. And then my little five-year-old who's in the mix, I see her come walking across to me, walking across to me. And she goes, Daddy? I say, yeah. She goes, I love you, Dad. And she says, um, I don't want to fight. And I like, I know what she's doing and it's working. She said, um, but I really need your help to get that bunny. And I looked at this little five-year-old's eyes, still fighting in the background. It's my toy, it's my toy, five-year-old daddy. You know what I did? I bought her the bunny. Like any good dad would, right? But, but, but in that moment, she knew where to access a bit of favor. And, and when it comes to faith, I want to use that as a setup because I believe sometimes in life, we are like the older two fighting over what which each person deserves. They shouldn't get that. They didn't even go to church on the weekend. They've never been to church before. They shouldn't deserve that. They shouldn't do that. And while that's happening, those who understand how God's delivery system works just walk with all their baggage, all their undoing, all their undeserving nature to the heart of the Father and say, Dad, I need your help right now. I want to tell you, friends, there's something that happens when we know where to access true favor, all right? And, and so I want to preach a message today titled, Hope Ain't Horizontal. Hope Ain't Horizontal. I want to help you understand that in just a moment. But really what I want to show you is that you cannot fight for in the flesh what can only be accessed by faith. Much like the two older girls were hoping for an outcome which they never got, and the youngest figured out where to find it, 
So in life, I believe when we hold on too tightly what, to what others have around us, or we argue for what everyone around us deserves or doesn't deserve, we miss out on the true and authentic nature of faith, which is to come before our Father in heaven and let Him know we have needs. I believe God wants to help us in this series access the kind of faith that brings heaven down to earth. And so the title of my message is Hope Ain't Horizontal. A bit of Bible background. I got my whiteboard here just to help you out. In the Old Testament, Malachi was a prophet. And uh, prophets would hear the voice of God and they would bring it to the people of Israel, God's people. And so Malachi, as one of the prophets of Israel, would be the last one to be recorded in the story, which is the Bible, in the Old Testament, before we get introduced to the person of Jesus, which is the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, uh, someone said it well once. I said, they said that Jesus, or the Old Testament, is Christ concealed. He's in the details that you're not always aware of. The New Testament is Christ reveals. He becomes very obvious to us. And so Malachi would say things that almost concealed the coming of Christ. He would have prophetic thoughts and prophetic words that would set us up for the promise that is Jesus to come. Okay? And so that's the story of Malachi. Uh, we're told that's about 400 years. Then we're told in the New Testament, and there's a bit of a debate as to which one was exactly the first words of Jesus, but that Luke I believe it is 2.49, Jesus speaks his first words, which is when he is found in the temple by his parents. And so we have this, this setup between Malachi's last spoken word and then heaven's official spoken word, which is Jesus. And in between the two is this period of silence. All right, They call it the 400 years of silence. Now, silence can be an awkward thing. I mean, you know when you have like a debate with your wife? I think that's what we call it. And then it goes quiet. Silence can be awkward. It's like, how am I doing? How do we end this? Where do we go with this? Like silence can be awkward. Maybe between parents and children, silence can be awkward. Even in relationships in your younger years, maybe you're in school, maybe you've got friends, and there's been these moments of like something went down, no one really too sure what it was, but it's gone quiet. You know that one? It's silent. Silence can be an awkward thing, but I'll, I want to show you how Jesus not only breaks the silence, but brings value to the silence that's at play. Because yes, he has a solution to the silence, but there is also a journey within it that I believe God wants us to hear. Because here's what I know for sure. This period of silence was not the last time God's people experienced silence. And so while it is a good setup to the Christmas story... I want you to be encouraged. If you're new to the church idea, or maybe it's your first time in church, maybe you've been coming for a while, I want you to be aware that silence is a real deal in this thing. It's not like everyone in this room has like special access power, you know, and then if you come five times to church, God's voice gets louder. You know, it's not, it's not one of those things. Silence is part of God's training ground, I believe, for what He wants to do in our lives. And so there will be periods of silence in all our lives for all of our lives, and I want to speak about that today. And in between Malachi and Jesus, there is the silence, but also there is a fight for Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. It's in Israel, and it's the center of Jewish worship, of worship of the God Yahweh, or the God Almighty, which is the God we serve. And, and so Jerusalem was a very fought-after city. 
In fact, whoever held the keys to the temple in Jerusalem kind of ruled the world. They were the power of, in some ways, the universe because that's where God worked through his people into his people. And so there was a fight for Jerusalem. Now, whenever I talk about Jerusalem, whenever a preacher talks about Jerusalem, whenever you read about Jerusalem, I want to help you with this now. I want to make it practical. It speaks of you and I as the temple of God, all right? So Jerusalem is God's meeting place. The temple is God's dwelling place. And now we know it as the church of Jesus Christ. Christ and the people of God as those two things. And so when there's a fight for Jerusalem, there's a fight for you. And when there's breakthrough in Jerusalem, it's an indication of the kind of breakthrough God wants to have in you. All right. And so during these years of silence, there is a fight for you. During these moments of silence, God, I prayed a big prayer, haven't heard back from you. God, I kind of been reading my Bible, nothing coming back at me. Not only is there a fight for you from the devil's side, there is a fight for you from God's side. And if we walk through the silence, I believe God has a solution for us. And so I want to help you with this today as we build up towards Christmas, which is the ultimate celebration of the silence being broken. And so there's a fight for your life. And I want to share three simple ideas. Because here's what I've realized even. Between God's prophetic word and the fulfillment of promise, between his word and the fulfillment of promise, there often is silence. Sometimes you have a dream and then it's quiet. When's it going to happen, God? Or sometimes you see a snapshot of the girl of your dreams. Just helping. Some young people, and they wonder why she doesn't get back to them. It's because God's working on your heart. Don't worry about her. She'll come in later. There's silence. Sometimes in marriage, there's necessary silence. You don't have to have the answers for every situation. Sometimes it's just needed that you walk through the silence. Otherwise, it would be all about our strength to fulfill everything that's been put on earth. But it's not. It's about God's promise in our life being fulfilled. And sometimes there's a journey of silence between what he said and what we're going to see. So a couple of thoughts around silence, I believe, as we go into Christmas. Answering the question, how do we hope in silence? How do we walk forward in hope in silence? Because it's here to stay. And a couple of tensions, I believe, that we can look at today. The first is a tension between old and new. Old and new. If you're writing down notes, write this down. Silence is an invitation to seek Him. Or silence is often a setup. All right? Let's look at what was going on. In the Old Testament, book of Malachi, we we read the final words of Malachi as this. Malachi 4 verse 6. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the heart of children to their parents. Or else I'll come and strike the land with total destruction. Malachi was speaking in picture words. Remember, this is a picture of Christ. It's hidden in the Old Testament. And it's going to come into fulfillment here. And what he's saying is, there will come a time. There'll be some silence. But there will come a time when children return to parents and parents return to children. Now, he wasn't talking about your and my children. Though I will claim that in Jesus' name, they will come home for dinners all the time, even when they're old. And my girls have married some little guy that was lucky enough to... They will still sit around our table and I will school them in the art of, I'm joking. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about our relationship with our heavenly father. So what Malachi is saying is, listen, this next period of silence, it ends with a promise. And the promise is not that families hang out. The promise is that the heavenly father makes himself known to humanity. The promise is that everything that you feel like you can't connect with is about to change through the fulfillment of this promise, which is the Christmas story, which is the birth of Jesus. That's Malachi. That's the last words we hear in Malachi. The first words we read of in Jesus is Luke 2.49. Jesus is found by his parents in the temple, 
And he says to his parents, why were you even looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The first thing we see, now I'm pretty sure Jesus is about 12 years old when he says these words. I'm pretty sure he said some stuff before then. Like I don't read the Bible naively. God kept his mouth silent until his, no, I'm pretty sure he said dada, mama. He was the real deal, right? But at 12 years old, God found it necessary to include those words as the first recorded words through his mouth in Scripture. And listen, there's power in first mention. So there's power in these words. Why is it so powerful? Well, remember, we spoke about prophetic and promise. God speaks, we see. God said, I'm going to restore sons to their fathers. And the first picture we get in the New Testament is of his son modeling this to us in the temple. I want to tell you, silence, friends, is an invitation to seek him. Silence is not wrong. We shouldn't be scared of silence. Silence is an invitation for us to go on a journey to seek Him and to find Him. And the outcome of that journey is always the same. We find that we are sons and daughters in a heavenly Father's house. Not that we're standing alone, not that He doesn't care for us, not that we're out there in the wilderness, but that we are sons and daughters. The journey of silence should lead us to a closer relationship with Him. Silence is a setup. A setup for what, Dill? A setup for him and you to do life together. Sometimes it feels like, God, I'm not sure where you are right now. That's permission to go on a journey to find him. Someone once said to me, um, God sometimes plays hide and seek with us as his children. Now, I'm not sure I believe in that language, but I was thinking about that. And I, and I do feel sometimes like, God, I'm in church on the weekend. I'm kind of doing my devotion Monday through Friday. I'm shouting out a few prayers while I'm in the car on the way to business meetings. Where are you? I guess hide and seek has got its application. But here's what I believe. I don't believe God hides himself from us so that, you know, we never find. I believe he hides himself from us so that we would learn to seek him. It's not about him being distant. It's about us being intentional. It's not about him hiding himself from us as much as it's an invitation for him to say to us, seek me and you will find me, Jeremiah says, when you seek me with all your heart. Silence, friends, is an invitation to seek him. And so when we go through seasons of silence, I would encourage you, encourage yourself, go looking for him. Which voices is he in? Which books is he in? What stories is he telling? Where is, where is he in the day? That friend seems to have a language that I need to be listening to right now. And sometimes we ignore it until God speaks. Actually, God speaks through books and through scenery and through friendships and through marriages and through children. Go figure. But go on a journey to seek him so that you find him when you seek him with all your hearts. And I believe that will break the silence. This was Israel's story. You see, I mentioned the word hope ain't horizontal in Israel. What was going down is uh, the, the kingdoms on the east and the west were all fighting for Jerusalem. It's kind of a cool picture. The power was swinging from east to west. And I thought as I was reading, I was like, they go looking for hope in horizontal places. I'm not going to find it in human effort. I need to seek God. That's where my hope comes from. I look to the hills for that is where my help comes from. And Jerusalem's in a state of turmoil because people keep looking for answers outside of the presence of God. Silence is an invitation to seek Him. As we kind of close out a, a big year, some of you say it's been a great year, others say it's been a painful year. For all of us, there are both of those stories. But as we close out this year, as almost that 
Someone said it's like an oxymoron because the silence is broken. When, when we go quiet, then he speaks loud. It's like this strange thing. As you go silent this Christmas, as you consider the year behind you, and as you dream of the year before, you realize silence is an invitation to seek him. Don't just sit in silence. Seek him in the silence. The second thing I want to speak about in this story is that there was a silence, and it was an invitation for God's people to seek him. And Jesus fulfilled that. The second thing I want to speak about that was taking place over here is a tension between high priests and hired priests. Now this is, this is cool. I'm going to help you with some of the Christmas story. You know, um, what was going on in Jerusalem was there was a line of priests in Jerusalem story that came from the Abrahamic bloodline through a person named Aaron, and they were called the high priests. They were the faithful priests that would represent God to the people well. The goal of the high priest line was to represent this God that we didn't feel like we could access in an honest and helpful way. That was their role. They were a conduit, if you like, for God Almighty to work through ordinary people like you and I. They were the high priest line. But what took place at some stage in this 400 years of silence in that fight, East, West, Persians, Greeks, Romans, all this stuff taking place, was what happened was it got to a point about 200 BC where they replaced the high priest line with hired priests. Okay, why is that important? Well, high priests were called by God. They had no hidden agenda for themselves. They stepped into that office purely as a conduit between God and people. But hired priests were doing it as a career. So what actually took place in those moments is that as all these political regimes took over Jerusalem, all right, they started to get to a point where they said, all right, if you can afford to put somebody in the position to oversee the temple, in other words, the person with the most money wins. And so Jerusalem went from being looked after, or the temple, from being looked after by faithful high priests to paid hired priests. There's a difference. The high priest cares for you, cares for your outcome, cares for your future. The hired priest wants a quick paycheck, all right, to represent the political power and to give themselves some status. Now, in our lives, I think we have a choice. Which one sits on the throne of your life? You see, one represents a walk of faith, which is to trust that God has good things for me. The other represents a walk of flesh, which is to say, if it doesn't work out, God, I'll do it in my own strength. Actually, when I was praying about high priests and high priests, I felt God say to me, money won't move the mountain. You cannot throw money at a problem of the heart. In other words, What you hold in your hands so tightly will never fix what you desire in your heart. Whatever you control in your own strength will be a restriction to what God wants to give you in His power. Whatever you hold back from God having the throne of your life of will be a restriction in what flows through your life from the throne of God. You see, high priests are conduits. They literally just access what's there, and they bring it to us. They bring the good news. They bring the future. They bring proclamation of seasons to come. The hired priest puts rules and regulations and boundaries around God's people and binds them up so that they can't live in freedom. Listen, if you have a hired priest on your throne of your life, in other words, if you have made short-term fixes to an internal struggle, you will always find yourself wanting. 
Which is to say that if, if you feel like there is a mountain in your heart that can't be moved, now is an invitation and permission to put the high priest back over the seat of your life. Because we're told in the Bible that the high priest is Jesus. And all they're doing is they're struggling for an outcome that only he can bring. They're putting hired priests. They're putting quick fixes, short-term solutions. I'll do it my way. I'll do it this way. God, I'll give you my Sunday, but I'm not going to give you my marriage. God, I'll give you my children. I'll pray for them. ask for your blessing, but I ain't going to give you my finances. That's okay. Don't be surprised if the blessing flows where the high priest sits. And I think there is an invitation for the church of today as we go into a season, honestly, that begs a lot from us. Christmas, I don't know, it's a high-pressure season. It's like it's exciting and the foyers are buzzing and the photos are coming. But for those of you who hold the money in your hands, it's a tense season, right? How much do I spend? Who do I give it to? How much do I save? Who do we hang out with? You know? How much do I let go of what I know to be true in my life just to let loose a little bit this Christmas? Listen, the high priest always allows life to flow. The hired priest, your solutions always block the flow of life. You're very quiet today, Link Church. I believe God is putting the high priest. Simple question, who sits on the throne of your life? Simple question. And the invitation will never be forced on you. I love how God is gentle. Uh, he knows life will flow when the high priest sits, but he's not going to push that on you. We have to come to a point in our lives where we genuinely believe he has good things for us. And so, God, I'm giving you all of me because I believe you have good things for us. That's the high priest. The third thing I want to speak about, the third tension, if you like, and this is where it gets really exciting, and I want to make a connection here between the years of silence and the story of Christmas. And I believe this connection I hadn't read it, so if you have, man, you're, you're a good scholar out there, but, but this kind of caught me unaware and off guard, and it blessed me. And so I want to make a connection to the story of Christmas today that I believe is going is to bless you. It's going to bless you if you're a Bible geek scholar and you read everything you can, and it's going to bless you if you're not even sure you know how to read the Bible, but the story of Christmas is going to help you today, all right? So here's what it is, the tension between a cleansing And Christmas. What? What is he talking about? Great question. Glad you asked. I'm here to help you. Cleansing and Christmas. Let me give you a few more details that took place here. You see, sometimes we don't realize the detail that's in the silence. The things that are taking place when we can't see it. I think Stephen Furtick said it well. He said, delay is not denial. And God is at work in the silence. And in this season of silence, the the high priest had been replaced, like I said, by the hired priest. And now, the good intentions of a high priest for God's people had been replaced by political powers that were looking for their own strength, success, whatever it looks like. And in this process, there, became, there was a man, his name was uh, Antiochus, someone in the doesn't actually matter, but he was a Roman, uh, Greek, sorry, uh, leader. And he took over this, Jerusalem. Now remember, when I say Jerusalem, what I'm actually speaking about is you. And so he took over Jerusalem in a horrific way, and, and then he passed on, and he left his son in charge, and his son's name literally meant madman. In, in fact, if you go and read about it, it's so cool. It speaks about this guy being the most evil of all men. 
So somewhere in the middle of this silence, because silence can lead you down a road that's hard to walk. And in the middle of the silence, when we at our weakest, the most evil, are you with me? Of all men comes in and takes over the most holy place. Remember, when I say Jerusalem, I speak of church. When I say temple, I speak of your heart. And he comes into Jerusalem. He takes the city. He destroys the confidence of the church. And then he walks into the temple and he completely demolishes it. He makes a complete mockery of the temple. The most evil man. In the silence. In fact, so much so, what he does is, in the old days, they used to, the priests, the high priests, they used to take clean animals and sacrifice them in the temple, and that would be a picture of God's forgiveness over his people Israel, not for the seasons behind, but for the seasons to come. God always works ahead. And so they would do that, and what he did is, he completely humiliated that whole process. He was part of the hired priest setup. In fact, he was the instigator. Dad was the instigator of that whole setup. And he comes and he takes an unclean animal. Now, for you and I, this is like, what? But back then, this was like terrible stuff. And he sacrifices an unclean animal. And then what he does is he leaves the remains and he sprinkles it all over the inner courts of the temple in Jerusalem, the holiest of holies, the place where high priests would go with great authority and reverence. And they would stand before God and the people and they would sacrifice the best of the best of the best, which is a picture, obviously, of what Jesus was for us. Everything in the old is a picture of the new. And they would do this and they would walk out the temple clean, holy, with good news. God has forgiven you of your sins. The year to come is atoned for. And he has this God, the most evil of all men, walking into the most holy of all places, which is not Jerusalem and the temple. It's the church and your heart. And he walks in there and he makes an unclean sacrifice and he sprinkles the remains everywhere. The remains of shame. The remains of disappointment. The remains of brokenness, the remains of pain, the remains of a God who doesn't care just everywhere. Now, come on, if we're honest, this makes sense now. If the Old Testament is a picture of what God is doing in us, then this makes sense now. John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. There is a fight for your heart, and hope ain't horizontal. Hope is upward. And the fight for your heart takes place not in a gentle way. The devil doesn't walk into your life and say, hey, let's chat out the rest of your life. Let's see if we can make negotiations. No, he walks in and he wreaks havoc while you're not even watching sometimes. Sometimes you wake up to a marriage. Where did my marriage go? Why is it all over? A business. How come this is not working out? A child. Why don't they speak to me anymore? And it can feel like everything has been just sucked out of the joy and the hope that was in your hands. Well, that's what the most evil man does. But I want to tell you that there's a better story than this. Oh, and this blessed me. There was someone of the high priest line. Had four sons, and they decided that enough was enough. Now, by the way, from when this priest or this Uh, evil man, destroyed the temple, it took six and a half years before someone returned. Sometimes the discouragements of what the devil says to you can leave you so far away from the things of God. It can take years before you walk back and say, actually, God, that was never true. Six and a half years later, 
I mean, I'm, I'm struggling if I'm having a bad day for three hours. Six and a half years later, the people of Israel, God's people, chosen people, still the most sought-after nation in the world. Six and a half years later, I'd say the evil man did some damage. But six and a half years later, a family from the high priest line who cared for the people. Remember, it's a picture of Jesus. He came in and they overthrew the temple. And they took ownership of it again for the high priest line. And the first thing they did when they took ownership of the temple, I just love the fight of a person that believes in the outcomes of God. Oh man, i got to believe it. I feel like every single weekend we're fighting for the thing God has put in people's hearts. I believe every single time these church doors open, it's like the war starts to rage. And I get excited to think that somebody is going to walk out of here free today. And they went into the temple. And you know the first thing they did was? They put some... Designer work? No. No, they didn't. They cleaned it. The first thing they did, they didn't go and build a beautiful exterior just to let everybody know it's now back in our hands. That might have come later. But the first thing this man and his sons did with their armies as they went and they cleansed the temple that had been humiliated by the most evil man. They cleansed it. Took away the shame. They wiped away the disappointment. They wiped away the failures. Yes, Israel, we've been humiliated. Yes, Israel, we've been held back from the thing we're called to. Yes, Israel, it's been hard, but it's about to change. You know why? Not because it looks beautiful on the outside, but because we've cleansed it on the inside. That's the starting point to grace at work in your life. And you know what the most amazing thing about this story is? They did this on a day that in Israel they call the Day of Dedication. The Day of Dedication is the 25th of December. And the 25th of December is when my Savior was born in this world to cleanse the temple of mine, your heart. You see, you can read the Bible like an ancient, kind of random book in history. Or you can realize that, man... This fight for Jerusalem was a picture of God fighting for our hearts. This silence as God would let men look for hope horizontally was all about Him inviting us to find Him in faith. You see, in the Old Testament, men would prove themselves by their behavior. But in the New Testament, we access favor by faith. It's unfair. And I see that picture of the temple being cleansed as such a powerful declaration of the gospel and the good news of Jesus in our lives. It doesn't matter what sin there is. It doesn't matter what shame there is. It doesn't matter what decisions you've made. It doesn't matter what roads you've walked down. My Savior came on the 25th of December some 2,000 years ago, and He didn't start by making you behave better. He started by cleaning you up on the inside and letting you know you're a son, and you're a daughter, and you're a chosen, and you're called, and there's still a holy temple in your heart, and there's still a place of worship for your life and he eliminated worry and he restored worship and he eliminated the pursuit of power and he restored peace that's the story of Christmas and he broke the silence what silence how am I doing God silence how am I doing God come on you know 
when you're lying in your bed at night. Marriage isn't what you plan. How am I doing, God? Or even better, where are you, God? Maybe you're a young man or woman and you've got a bright future and you've made some decisions. You've walked down some roads. You've crossed some boundaries. And now you're not sure. How am I doing, God? And so you're trying, but you're not sure. Maybe you've failed in a few business adventures. I mean, everyone around you still sees the outside, but on the inside, you're asking, how am I doing, God? Am I okay? Am I going to make it out of here? Is there hope? I want to tell you the story of Christmas that breaks the silence is not when you get it right on the outside. It's when you let him do his work and clean it up on the inside. And every single week, we walk back into this church as a declaration of a God who is represented by some priests that walked into the temple and cleaned it out. And every Sunday, I walk through these doors and I sit there with honesty in my heart. I go, God, clean me up again. Get me ready again so, God, that I can worship you so my life could say something for you so that my children could walk in the promises you have for them. Friends, listen, the silence has been broken. You don't have to wait for the 25th of December to celebrate the coming of Jesus. You can receive him right now. You can take him home in your heart today and you can live with freedom freedom for the rest of your life. I see people. We get calls from people that carry shame. Parents that feel like they failed their children. Oh, I know that's hard. They look at me with their eyes. They're not saying it, but they're wondering if it's going to be okay. That's shame, my friend. That was the evil doing. It's been done over by the faithful one. His name is Jesus. It's been cleaned up. You're going to be fine, and your children are going to be strong. Even if it doesn't end the way you plan, God always has his outcomes in mind. He breaks the silence. How am I doing, God? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys, oh God, I love your promise. If anyone destroys God's temple, put your hand on your heart, say that's me. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. You don't need to take revenge. That's the Lord's. You don't need to fight back. That's a horizontal display. I'm telling you, friends, when you lean into the promises of God and you don't worry about the outcomes of man, hope ain't horizontal. Hope is vertical. And as I do that, I start to be reminded I'm His temple. I am chosen. I am set apart. Doesn't matter what they're up to doesn't matter how much money they have in the bank. doesn't matter how good their family's doing. I'm setting my heart on the Lord because that's the story of Christmas. Stand with me this morning. I want to pray with you.